again to In Our 1990s, podcast where we are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s. And um, I don't have a pithy intro for this week, so... It's you know, fucking February. It's fucking February. Um, it's Friday night, and that's and we're doing this, so that tells you all you need to know about our lives. Uh, we might go install a dishwasher after this. <laughs> No, I'm might joking. delete this later. Might go install a dishwasher. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's what might, new. Might delete our dishwasher later. Oh man, let's let's just get right into it. I don't have anything fun to talk about. No. Oh, I do. I so for Sundance, uh, which is just the Sundance Film Festival, just ended. Uh, it was the first one that was available digitally online. If we had been more consistent with our podcasts up until this point, I would have told you this before. Uh, but <laughs> now that you can't see it, <laughs> but now that you can't see it, uh, the Sparks Brothers documentary uh, debuted. It was Edgar Wright's first documentary film covering the entire c- career of the Sparks Brothers or the male brothers who are the me- the consistent members of Sparks. I forgot that Edgar Wright directed that, and now it makes so much more sense. Oh yeah, like the the like jokey titles under the talk uh, under everyone's talking heads mm-hmm. like how they had two people from duran duran and each one of them one of them was duran and the other was duran yes no it's a it's, i it didn't win any awards at sundance which it wasn't going to edgar right this is first documentary it wasn't going to win anything uh you don't get that from sundance but it is a good film and it is as in his own words before the documentary aired he was saying that it was his argument for why sparks should be respected and this podcast is a friend of sparks as yeah. far as it goes to <laughs> in goes this to, house we respect sparks yeah but if you when you get the chance later on definitely seek that documentary out because it's very good it's quite long but it is literally every album they've ever done and they have been recording since the 70s yeah that was my only complaint really is the the structure was it it was structured less around like the ups and downs of their career, and it's literally just their discography. They just go through their discography. Well, there's so little done about Sparks, and this is—I think this is where Wright was having a problem. He's like, "I want to do this punchy documentary for Sundance, but I also want to make this full two-two-hour argument, or two and a half-hour argument about why Sparks is fucking vital and why they're important and why you should give a shit." And you can't make it punchy. Like, there's a, there are many documentaries. The documentaries that won at Sundance this year were much shorter, much punchier. But I, as with... And probably very political, because that's what people want out of a documentary for some fucking reason, is propaganda. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 that really wasn't the, the tone that I got. Stra- I mean, Strawberry Mansion did do well. Um, which, look into that if you care. It's not going to matter to this podcast, but... Yeah, it's you should you should watch the Sparks documentary. It, it's a very good overview of their entire career. We have one more album we can do on this on this show, and it's not a good one. So I really I remember thinking it sounded better than oh the plagiarism. One we did. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's interesting. It was we'll definitely get... better produced. I didn't listen to it very cl- closely, but we'll get to that one. But uh, watch that documentary when you get a chance. It's very good. It's called The Sparks Brothers, and you'll love it. Maybe. I did. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I, I, like I said, I did, there were some albums where they talked said like two sentences about them, and I was like, why did you? 
They're Chiefs and Zombies. Well, yeah, that's fine, but like, just cut that part. Like, because they you, they basically showed like interior design and just like walked off. Yeah, like I've just never seen a music documentary before where it was literally just they went on Wikipedia and downloaded the the discography and that was the structure of the movie. I, I think what Wright was going for was just trying to get all the information out there because there isn't anything because they're very they're not insular but like no one really asked, and that's what the Mel Brothers will tell you is like no one really asked, and they're just not really outgoing dudes. Yeah, Ronald seemed like he was much the much more interesting one. <laughs> oh, I lo- <laughs> He had a lot more to say uh, about their music, which I guess makes sense because he writes everything. Yeah, R- Russ is just a singer. No, I love you, Russ, too. But it, it's, yeah, Ron is Sparks. And if you when you start viewing Sparks from that angle, you go, oh, shit. Because that's like one man just like beating his head against the industry. Yeah. And his brother can sing. Ron can sing too. And there are many Sparks uh, B-sides where you hear Ron sing. Yeah. I mean, it, they wouldn't be the same band without Russ's voice. No. But it's definitely, it's always weird to me when it, when a band is like that, when it's just, there are members with zero creative input. I think Russ has more creative input than you think, especially later now. But Ron is very much a, like, I'm going to keep making music till I die. So... Yeah, and it's also one of those documentaries where there's just, like, no drama. Like, it's kind of like the R.E.M. behind the music where, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only drama was that, like, they fired their band, their backing band a lot. Well, there was but a... even that is, like, it, it, like they, if if Ron and, and Russ have, like, knocked down, drag out fights, it didn't seem like they really wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that they do. I think they were the kind of brothers who were like, I don't agree. And they're just like, humph harumph and like go off to the other room yeah there was like that one guy who was like i was really sad that they i was i was like so into being in sparks and then they were like see you later we made our album (laughs) i felt bad for that guy (laughs) yeah yeah and and i get it from sparks perspective too because they were just trying to make a thing that worked so but you get to see old ass Giorgio Moroder, and any time, any chance you get to see Giorgio Moroder, just bask in Giorgio Moroder. Yeah, you want to take it. All right. Well, something that's nothing like Giorgio Moroder is our first album this week, which is Pablo Honey. Mm. First, uh, de- the debut album from Radiohead from 1993, and it shows. It really shows. It sounds very 1993, except for one song that we'll get to. Um, I mean, the, the obvious starting point for this album is Creep, because... I mean, Creep is more evident of what they will sound like later. And See, I don't, I think that's the exact opposite. I think, I feel like Creep sounds nothing like anything else on this album, and nothing like anything they did afterwards. <laughs> no, I think there's some progression in Creep, and particularly his vocal track i think that his vocal track is very on par with what he does later the music composition may not be but his vocal track definitely is it is and that vocal track stands out against the rest of this album yeah uh, so okay so here's the story with creep they got sued for it <laughs> um we'll get this out of the way first it, it's a direct ripoff of um a song called what is the name? The Air I Breathe by the Hollies. And Radiohead admitted this once they were sued for it. <laughs> and basically they gave the 
the guys who co-wrote the song, uh, Albert Hammond and Mike Hazelwood, they gave them songwriting credit and like 40% of the royalties or something like that and uh, made the lawsuit go away because, I mean, basically as soon as they were called on it, Tom York was like, yeah, I ripped it off completely. Like, it was intentional. And so I, I guess they just didn't think it's they were going to get caught. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's it, the, so the vocal melodies are not the same, but the, it's the exact same chord progression. Like, yeah. identical chord progression to, to that song. Which makes it hilarious with the other thing that you told me. Yeah, so, so... You know, Radiohead admitted that they plagiarized the song, so this is this isn't like a legally actionable thing that I'm saying. It Tom, Tom York said it. Um, so they they like settled the lawsuit, and then so there are conflicting stories about this. Uh, Lana Del Rey claims that Radiohead and their label sued her over the song "Get Free." demanding songwriting credit and 100% of the royalties. Uh, Tom York says that no such thing ever happened. Um, apparently there was a lawsuit, I mean, but nothing came of it. I mean, it, like, having heard you play that song for me, it is actionable as fuck. It is an identical, it, so it's different chords, but an identical vocal melody. Oh, hell yeah. And she claims that 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 song never entered her mind when she was writing Get Free. Really? Because she has the ah, part. <laughs> it's I mean it is it is the same vocal melody. There there are zero differences. She's so fucking special, y'all. Um but again, you know, we've said it before, like an artist can subconsciously plagiarize. Like it it happens. That's it's not happened subconscious to me. though. That was like whole ass. No, I mean it it my the time I did it with a slow dive song is as bad as that. <laughs> like and I had no intention of doing it, but then when I listened back I was like, oh shit, I I just rewrote Spanish Air. That's why I thought this song was so good, because it's actually just a slow dive song. <laughs> well at least you noticed it early on, but and I feel that's what people should do. It's like and you can borrow and, and also I didn't release that song and make money off of it, you know. I yeah. mean, there that's it it was a thing I did in a home studio and then was like, Oh shit, I see what I did there <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so it happens. But the bottom line is they they got no money from her off of it. If there was a lawsuit, which Radiohead says there was no lawsuit, Warner Brothers did, I think, put out a statement basically saying there's a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So it's a clusterfuck, but I guess they dropped it and let it, they just let it go, which again, don't fucking sue someone over a song you plagiarized. Like, well, they sued over the vocal melody, which is the thing that he wrote. So, yeah, I mean, that is the one like unique thing. And, and well, it, obviously the, the song structure is different from the Holly's song, but the chords are exactly the same. So, the most original part of Creep is the vocal melody. Um, and then that's the part that she took, and so that's the part you can action against. It. I don't like Lana Del Rey. I'm just going to put that on the record here. <laughs> I, I don't think she's terrible, but it's just like, yeah, okay, I've heard it. And literally here, I had, okay, yeah, I'd heard it. Yeah, well, so, so the thing with Creep is it's one of those songs that got released too early. Yes. Because it came out as a single, and nobody gave a fuck about it, except Israel. And it was huge in Israel. And that. they just kept playing it in Israel until um, the song. So then once uh, Loser by Beck became a huge hit, they were like, well, let's try to release it in America again. So they actually put out a second single release 
or they, they released it as a single twice and the second time it was like just in time for the like slacker anthem thing and became a huge huge mega hit that they have like never touched since um like nothing else they have ever done has come close to having the like financial and chart success of creep which is sad because i think creep does not age well i, I think that song was fine it's fine it, like i don't think it's a bad song i just think it ages very poorly i think it's still real great to sing into the rock band party well know, yeah they had those because it has the the big you know the big outro yeah i so I, I sing two songs during rock band parties. I sing Creep and I sing This Charming Man. And <laughs> do so two things. I rap and fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Except Morrissey doesn't fuck and Tom York doesn't rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was one time I had to, I, I had to sing a, a White Snake song. That was not great. But yeah, that's my two, those are my two songs at rock band. Creep and This Charming Man. I'm the worst person at your party. <laughs> so the rest of the album is like very glam, as you said. It's, it's it's not, but it is very influenced. So how do you... I was sitting in my office today listening to this album again, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is a very Cockney Rebel voice line. I had to fucking figure out if Tom York loves Cockney Rebel, because I think he fucking does. And then I went and searched, and I was like, oh, this motherfucker loves Cockney Rebel? Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it's true. It, it's very subtle, but it has a very similar, like, elongation as, uh, Make Me Smile slash Come Up and See Me and Sebastian. So I don't know Cockney Rebel that well. Is he singing, is the way he sings it like Cockney Rebel? Because I actually made a note that said... It sounds like a tribute to Suffragette City with Johnny Rotten singing. <laughs> yeah, so it's, the way he's singing, there's a, a a shift in the notes that is very Cockney Rebel. So, so come up and see me, make me smile. But he's also really sneery on it, and it just reminds me and of like... Steve Ho Steve Harley was very, very sneery. Yeah, it just made me think of like, God save the queen! Yeah, but 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 Cockney Rebel was like predates that like Johnny Rotten. Sound. Well, yeah, obviously. And it, it's it, it that was what I was very, so looking into this. Tom York, independent of Radiohead, has covered Roxy Music, Brian Eno, and Cockney Rebel. So I was like, oh yeah, you glam boy. So it makes sense, and there is some glam throughout the rest of the album, but it's not pronounced. I don't think as much as it could be. Because when I think of glam, there's a little bit more. So outside of Eno and Roxy music, glam is really stripped down. It's very four four beat, very just like this is my riff, this is this is our beat. We're gonna dance to it. We're gonna have glitter everywhere, and Roxy compounded that with Eno's sound, and then Eno did his own thing to make it a little more full. And Roxy added more saxophone than a few others did. Bowie had saxophones. But uh, Radiohead was trying it, but they were doing it in a way that's this very mundane and neutered 90s aesthetic. Like, it, it, this album sounds like mud. Like, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a terrible album, but, like, it feels like 90s compromised mud. 
Yeah, it, it definitely, like, the production on this one doesn't stand out to me really anywhere. And that's the thing, is, like, they, they're have the, they have all these influences, but they're not sharp enough, and their mixing is so dull that it, nothing, none of it shines. I think the big takeaway is that last song on the album is, like, it has a nice, sharp production. Yeah, which, that is Blowout, and I was, like, that's the one that I was alluding to earlier that I, I was saying that one ages the best of anything on the album For because sure. that sounds like in rainbows like that sounds that's looking forward to like post amnesiac radiohead yeah and they kind of didn't do anything like they end the album with that song and then don't do anything that sounds like that again until in rainbows really yeah and so like muse is really heavily inspired by radiohead you don't say I wasn't trying to be so pithy, but <laughs> so they are. And what I think Muse gets right is that they just go over the top with it. They just like hit, they hit the floor and they just make it loud and they make it as aggressive as they want it to be. And Radiohead spent a lot of time in the nineties, not doing that. And then we have an album from Muse in like 99 where they're like, we're going to fucking do it. And even then, they're like, we're not out Radiohead, Radiohead. And they were already trying to do it. I'm not a big fan of Muse, but I do get this vibe. And Paulo Honey, for, in particular, is Radiohead being like, well, we just can't go too far because it will alienate listeners. And what you get is just some beige shit. And it's not a terrible album, but it is so compromised by someone going, that's too far. And that really sucks because if, if Tommy York's influences are... Roxy music, like Cockney Rebel. Why aren't you fucking doing it? And like, there's some because glam rock was just not a thing at this point. But it was rock, and they were making a rock album. Yeah, but they were making a Britpop album. But it, they weren't. They were making was... a rock album that just got like counterbalanced into into Britpop. Uh, yeah, it's the I... same thing with Placebo. They were doing. They were doing trying to do rock, but it got like completely halved into glam rock which yeah is but why with the placebo drummer... you can tell that it's sonic youth influenced though like oh, there yeah. is that like there's a much harder edge to placebo that that this just doesn't have even at its hardest moments and and i like i think that they set out i mean this is consciously a Britpop album and and it, this was like what was in the water in in British rock music at the time? Um, and it's just, it's a massive disservice because York can't sing it. Like, I I again, I'm not a big Radiohead fan, but I think Tom York has a great voice. I just think that this is not he he all he can sing is Radiohead though. Like I watched, I was actually watching videos recently of them in their like rehearsal space. You know, this was like in the last few years, and they were co- doing like '80s covers. And they covered um, Ceremony by New Order Ooh. and a song by the... I can't remember which Smith's song, but they covered a Smith's song. And it, like, it just sounds so wrong. Like, he he, he doesn't sound... Like, his voice... Like, it, it sounded awesome, actually, but, like, his voice was just so... He can't not do the, like, mumbly... Mm-hmm. mumbly high-pitched thing i mean i'm curious to I, i'm curious to hear his roxy music covers i didn't look them up before we did this podcast but i kind of want to hear them now because i think he could do a decent brian ferry and i'm wondering if brian ferry fucked his voice because like that's a i can't mimic brian ferry 
I can mimic a lot of people, but I can't mimic, mimic Brian Ferry. And I think Tom York was trying to. And I'm going to find those. And, and I get that. I mean, he just has a very distinctive voice. It's like if Bowie covered something and you could... You, I mean, Bowie did. He So he wrote all the young dudes from Off the Hoople and then he covered it. <laughs> and the citation needed on that one. I'm fairly certain I'm correct in what I'm saying. Uh, but... I think the Bowie version of all the young dudes is better. I mean, it's not Mott the Hoople, so. Yeah. <laughs> you hate Mott the Hoople? No, I, I don't know enough about them. I, it, Billy Corgan hates Mott the Hoople. Oh, uh, Billy Corgan's chronically well, he wrong. Hate, There's a really funny story. When Smashing Pumpkins did their Peel sessions, um, Billy Corgan like, wrote about it, and he was like, we thought that that meant you went in and recorded with John Peel, which I was super excited about. And then we got there, and it was some asshole from Mott the Hoople, and we never even saw John Peel. Mott the Hoople's not that bad. <laughs> All the young dudes carry the news. They're much younger than John Peel was. So the song that I'm amazed wasn't a... Well, there's two songs, really, I'm amazed. Because kind of nothing else on this album, at least in America, got any play. Mm-hmm. Like, Creep just so thoroughly overshadowed it. Um, Stop Whispering seems like the most obvious 90s anthem ever, mm. aside from Creep. Um, I mean, just that, that sentiment of start, stop whispering, start shouting. Like, is, is can you think of anything more 90s? Um, Not really, no. I mean, again, other than I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. Um, and Anyone Can Play Guitar, which is... Anyone Can Play Guitar is my favorite song on the album. Really? It's, it's not the best song on the album. No, it is very much not. But that chorus. Oh my god, the chorus on Anyone Can Play Guitar is so good. Yeah, Blowout is like my favorite song on the album. Blowout is Blowout is the best song on the album. <laughs> yeah, it's like Blowout then Creep. I, I, I stand up for Creep because I think it's a good song. And I think it's one of those songs that just... Yeah, I think Creep is like the... F- fourth or fifth best song on the album probably like blowout is definitely the best anyone can play guitar is my favorite i think that um thinking about you is like really underrated Mm -hmm. the one that's just acoustic guitar and like some strings and then a little bit of like uh unified lead guitar at the end like i think that song is really pretty and and like could have been a disaster in the wrong hands but like he totally nails it and i think how to you is is like really good too I, I, like, I don't actually think Stop Whispering is that great. It's just, it's so 90s, I don't Yeah. Like, it's fine, but it's really bland. But yeah, going back to this album, it's like, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just, I think it is so confined by the time it was recorded. I think that they were trying to fit it to a sound that just wasn't their sound. Yeah, it, it like it's weird because the bins is like so much better than this, but also it's like the the logical extension of this, but it's just like they like the gap in quality, it's like they skipped like four albums of of like honing their sound because <laughs> they just went from this kind of mediocre version of the sound to doing the bins and it just is so fucking incredibly great mm-hmm. like a controversial opinion but it's kind of my favorite radiohead album like i i recognize why okay computer is so beloved i i had heard autecker before kid a came out so i wasn't impressed by it 
<laughs> because that's kind of how that kind of gauges how much you like today is had you heard Autechre? Had you heard Boards of Canada? Had you heard Apex Twin? Then you're probably not that impressed by today. And and I kind of hate Amnesiac. I so. just haven't fucked with Radiohead. Like I it was one of those things that like there were people around me who were just so obsessed with Radiohead and I was just like mm. But also, I am apparently a almost 70-year-old man at this point, and I, all of my culture relevant references are in the 70s. Yeah, I, I like, Radiohead as, an al- as a band, I feel guilty for liking as much as I do, because, like, they are the most, like, standard white boy band that you can be into. Like, it, they're, like, the... the no, white... I, think, I think Muse takes the cake on that one. So there is. So we have a friend. Ooh, you know who I'm. You know who I'm talking friend. about. We have a friend who who drives a Mustang, who whose Mustang I have ridden in and and listened to the music she listens to. And oh, what no. I discovered is that there is just a cottage industry, because Radiohead didn't make another album that sounded like the Bins, but a whole lot of other bands did. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's that's what she listens to. That does not surprise me. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. I don't think she does, but and it's not all bad. But she's a Muse fan. She's a fan of of a hundred other bands I'd never heard of that all sound like the Bins as their only influence. So I, my favorite Muse song is "Panic Station." I could not name a Muse song. It's very good. "Panic Station" is very good. If you don't, if you take anything away from this podcast, listen to "Panic Station." Uh. That doesn't surprise me about. Uh, our mutual friend. <laughs> our friend. <laughs> our mutual friend. We uh, lounged around for hours. Put on a record, and, you know. Nope, nope. Just stop that right there. <laughs> I know what song you're quoting and how that song ends. <laughs> let's arrange. Uh, let's. Re- oh, Pablo Honey's. That it's it's uh, one other thing to say about it. It's one of two, at least two albums we'll do on the show that I that is named after a Jerky Boys bit. Oh, Suvlaki by Slow Dive is also named after a Jerky Boys bit. Nice. So I guess that fey British bands from the '90s were just way into Jerky Boys. <laughs> I didn't know that about Pablo Honey until I didn't know that until now. I, I learned it about Suvlaki a long time ago, but yeah, so. At least two albums named after Jerky Boys references. Name your uh, name your band after uh, or your albums after um, Longmont Potion Castle bits because they're the only funny prank calls. Okay, um, so this is gonna go higher than I thought, and unless you hate it, but like, I mean, I'm gonna be fair to it. Yeah, I think it's better than than Leisure by Blur. Yeah, I think it's better than Leisure, but I do not think it's better than Gratuitous Sex. Yeah, I'm I'm willing. To, I think it is, but I'm willing to give you that one. I because I'm not passionate about it. <laughs> like I really love a couple of songs on it, and I really think the big hit has aged poorly. And mm. so, like, I'm I'm fine. That'll put it at number thirty four. 
I think that's a fair place for it. There are, there are other Radiohead albums that are much better than this in the 90s. That we can deal every, with. every other Radiohead album is much better than this. Even even Amnesiac is, I, I will admit, as much as I don't like that album, it's much better than this. I'm going to fight for things not going above Sparks. That's just going to be a thing. No, I, I, I get it. I have those albums too. And I don't think this, like, even though I think this is probably better, again, I, I don't have any passion whatsoever about it, so I, I, I I'm think, not going to fight for it. I think that Sparks album is just more cohesive. I think that it's more uniquely their sound than it is. This album is very much a band finding their sound. Well, yeah, I mean, and that makes sense, because that's, what, 20 years into Sparks' career, and it's Radiohead's debut album? Well, I was going to make a face, but now I'm making a face. Oh, no, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I'm saying that makes sense, that it would be that way. All right, so we're going to add that one to the list, and then we'll be back to talk about material issue. Boy, will we. All right, we are back. Our second album this week is not british but you'd be forgiven for thinking it is uh it's international pop overthrow by material issue from 1991 take this it away whole ass from chicago uh, yeah they they want to hide that fact though oh they certainly do and so this album is notable because it launched a pop festival called international pop overthrow uh it's recorded from 1988 to 1991. It sounds older, I think, I think it sounds exactly like that time frame. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's something about this. It doesn't sound like pop to me. I think this album doesn't sound like pop. I it's think power it, pop. I mean, it's... But is it? Because yeah. this is not what I think power pop sounds like. It, I mean, this is... It, it Does it sound like the replacements in Elvis Costello? <laughs> no. It's power pop. It doesn't sound like Elvis Costello in the slightest. It, it sounds... It sounds like... Fucked a lot like the I mean, replacements. It, I, mean, it, I mean, it is just like butchered mod, but like... It's... I think there's some Elvis Costello lurking in, in the background. But yeah, it's this album's weird because it doesn't have any care. It doesn't have any soul. No. It's, it's completely soulless. It is... What does a pop song sound like? And people trying so hard to make a pop album sound like a pop album that they have lost what makes pop albums fun. They were like... So... Recollect, my friends. If you think about a pop album, how many pop albums have several songs with a girl's name in them? <laughs> well, probably quite a few. Not really, from though. the '60s. Not, but even then, like the Beatles didn't have that many songs with like a girl's name in the song in the no. album. And like that's they certainly don't have albums that start with three songs in a row with a girl's name in yes. the title. <laughs> so that's kind of the issue here is like this is so overworked. It's like they're desperately trying to make a sound and they get better from here. They do. But they don't have any much much success as much as this album had. I mean, you can't really do much better than having a music festival named after your album. Uh, were they involved in that at all? I think they were. Okay. But I think it was more just like, hey, we want to use your the title of your album to do our International Pop Overthrow Festival. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure, let's do that. Uh, but <laughs> it's... It's not a terrible album, but it is entirely forgettable. Yeah, it, it's... It, 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 it's It's all very fade in the background, just like... Oh, that Valerie loves me is very. It's like Valerie loves me, and you like 
do 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 and then like i don't think this sounds like that at all <laughs> i mean that's the literally the melody do 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 yeah but it has that bouncy like like uh this charming man kind of beat to it there's a lot of smiths in this like that's the, and that's why i don't think it's pop because there's like i don't consider the smiths pop the smiths are totally pop they're not pop you gotta stick a letter, stick words in front of it. They're indie pop. Yeah, this, this is, is power indie, pop, and this is this is indie pop trying to be power pop, but it's not. It's, I mean, it's not very powerful, but it's, it's no. It, that it, is the genre for sure. It is, is power pop, wistful pop, if it's anything, because it is just. I don't know. I so I added this album to the to. I don't have much uh, history with material issue. I actually added this to the podcast because I was listening to our playlist and then it just immediately started this album. It started with Valerie Loves Me and I was like, mm, that fits, but it's kind of not right. And I think Valerie Loves Me is the best song on this album. I think that... Um... You're wrong, Hadrian. Get the end of the sea. No, I thought I I thought I picked a favorite song, but I'm realizing now, looking at my notes, that I didn't. Um, I, I think Diane is better than Valerie Loves Me because it sounds like uh, My Sister by Juliana Hatfield. That's fair. <laughs> um, the verses do anyway. The verses sound so much like that song. Um, Jesus, there are one, two, three, four songs with a girl's name in the title in this album. Yeah, um, I thought that very first lie is is good. Yeah, it's all right. International Pop Overthrow was a terrible song. I it, hate it's that song. The way he says pop is it ruins. He is the song. trying so hard to not be American. Yeah, it's, it's so, so bad. and it's a bad British accent too. Like, like, so I'm 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 gonna be real with you. I sing with a British accent, and I do it by accident. I just my early musical influences were all British, so I will just have Morrissey pronunciation when I sing things. And I own it. And if I were ever to record an album and go, someone goes, you sing really British. I'm like, yeah, it's fucking Morrissey. Fuck him. And that would just be what I would say. That would just be what I would say. This They're clearly trying to emulate this. Oh, no, I did put a favorite. Uh, Chance of a Lifetime is the one that I put. In all right, that's all right. Uh, it sounds a lot like R.E.M., it does. I think I think Valerie Loves Me is just stronger. I think it is... Uh, so this album was kind of influential with a lot of indie bands that came after it. Particularly that like early 2000s like jam. Which is just fucking crazy to me that in the early 2000s you would find any influence in this. I know. But they did as... Uh, what was that band? I can't remember the name of it. But it was like that whole sea of like Arctic Monkeys adjacent bands. Uh, but they had... And if I could watch Scrubs right now, I would tell you exactly what it was, but I can't remember <laughs> what it is. I thought you were saying that was a lyric at first, and I was like, God, that's a horrible lyric. <laughs> but, uh, though that the whole realm of, like, weird indie British bands. Like the Fratellis? Is that who you're thinking No, of? it's not the Fratellis. Because it's, it's I think the Fratellis are way better than this. No, no, no. The Fratellis are way better than this. This is adjacent to that. But it, but there was very clearly that, like, really 
jangly guitar trying to throw back to the 60s but not doing it correctly because everything was too too nicely produced to make it sound that way and it was clearly coming from material issues sound because that's what they're doing too is that they're trying to throw back to what like the fucking kinks sounded like and the zombies there's a lot of zombies in this uh but it doesn't work because it's too clean yeah the production like is the just the fucking death of this album like it's the most generic like late 80s indie rock production yeah it's like rem and let's active but really bad yeah it's just it's not it so sometimes production can just be too tidy and it makes something sound like a commercial. Well, it was like everyone in the 80s made their drums not sound like real drums. Like everything had to sound like a drum machine for some reason. And I think this album has that problem. And they just the guitars are so like tame. And they need to not be tame. Like Valerie Loves Me is probably so much better live than, than it is on, on record. Yeah, I can hear that. Because it does have kind of a noisy chorus. But it just... It, just it has no teeth the way that this is produced. And again, that's, I mean, you can't hold it against, I don't hold it against the band in terms of like, this was their creative decision because it's just how albums sounded yeah, <laughs> at so, this I mean, point to in me, time. I mean, to me, this album sounds like a, a bunch of guys from Chicago trying to do a faux British album that didn't work quite right. But it's not a bad album. No, it, it, like I think there there are glimmers. I mean, again, like Diane is is pretty good, um, and I, like very first lie, I I hate the lead guitars in it. Yeah, like, da 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 because it's just he's just playing up and down a scale. Yeah, like, that, that was. <laughs> but like I think the lyrics, I think those are the best lyrics on the album because because they're kind of more mature and more like it's kind of a creative take because. Like, it's singing about, thinking about a relationship, but then he gets so far ahead of himself, he's like, I can't wait for the very first lie. Which, yeah. like, that's cool. I liked that that take. I, I hate the line, I'd like to ignore my friend, all my friends and spend some time with you, maybe shake your tambourine. Like, fuck that. That's, but, like, the rest su- of the song is good. <laughs> that's such a fucking, just, like, mod line to say. Like, the Dandy Warhols could sing that, and it would they would make it sound cool. Because or at he least would, they, he they would make it sound ironic and funny. Yeah, because the, the the singer of the Danny Warhols would have like dipped his voice enough to make it like yeah, shake your tambourine, and you're like, oh, oh. Here it is. It's too. It's too pure. Yeah, it's just too clean. Like he like you get the feeling he thinks that's a cool line. Yeah, as, as opposed to the Danny Warhols where he would be like, look how cool I am for having the balls to say this. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, we didn't talk a lot about, like, later Dandy Warhols when we were, when we covered that one Dandy Warhols album, but, like, their lyrics just get progressively just, like, him saying shit to just say shit, and it's it's kind of crazy. And this, I mean, this, this, this little album wants to be a 60s British rock album. And it's not that, and it's not pop, because their idea of pop is just like we're gonna st- do a square box information while we play our song on top of the pops, and that's what this is. It's it, it's very Beatles without actually having any of the Beatles essence. Yeah. So the front man Jim Ellison, who's like the singer songwriter and like lead guitarist, 
I just don't think he's good at any of those things. No. He's an okay songwriter, but like he's not a good singer. And as the guitars on very first lie show, he's not a very good lead guitarist. And it just the the center of the band just isn't there. Yeah, it, it fades in the background, and it, it's it's sad because there's there's good ideas here, and there, it's not a bad album. It's just he's one of those guys who I just feel like probably should have written songs for other people. Yes. Because his songwriting is the strongest thing. So, like, <laughs> I, I, I lament that the Shutter to Think guy was like, I'm just going to write other people's songs. And I'm like, but you're so good. Why are you writing other people's songs? And sometimes the most creative people just be like, fuck it, I'm going to write other people's songs. Like, fucking uh, Willie Nelson. You know? Like, that man for the first half of his career was writing other people's music. And then he was old and went, I'm going to smoke a lot of pot and I'm going to see my own music. Outlaw Country. And then... <laughs> but Willie Nelson's songs are so good, the fucking Pet Shop Boys covered one of them, and it's awesome. Willie Nelson's real good. Like, he's really good. And this is not. It, it's, it's not It's not, It's not. not Willie Nelson good. No, I'm glad you don't think this is good, because I really didn't want to have to fight you on this being oh, in the top no. ten. <laughs> oh, this no. Because this is just like... It's not bad. Like, I, I certainly wouldn't say like i will never ever listen to any of this again but, i like, like the I song won't. i like the song valerie loves me and that got this album on this show and it's i mean i would put it around maybe the 50s maybe 60s what do you think about 63 <laughs> because that would put it below manscape I can't put it above pretty on the inside. I'm sorry. I, I, like, I, th- I think it's, it's slightly better than Manscaped. It's not better than... It's, oh, that is such... Uh, just sticking the knife in. All right, all right. It's slightly worse than Manscaped. Okay. I think that Psycho TV album is slightly better, though. All right, we'll put it at 64. All right, let's do that. I mean, I have... I would stop at 21st Century Jesus, and that's where that would that would stop. I would. Oh, rather... yeah, no. That's fine. I yeah, mean, I, I love. I love. I would much rather listen to to Peak Hour than than this again. I love Twenty First Century Jesus, and that's fine. You're not. You don't have to. Psychic TV, I think, is better. Yes, I do too. So there we go. Okay, if that's what it takes to get it below Manscape, then that's fine with me. I forgot I put Psychic TV below Manscape. By the way, I, I fought real hard. All right, so that puts International Pop Overthrow by Material Issue at number 64 between Peak Hour by Psychic TV and 21st Century Jesus by Messiah, which I had not thought about until I since we ranked I am the creator! It. Let's uh, take a look at our top 10 here. Uh, number 10 is Bloodletting by Concrete Blonde. At number 9, Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. Number eight, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six, Spooky by Lush. Number five, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by XTC. If you want to see all the albums we've ranked, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s and if you want to uh, listen to every album that we have ever ranked you can go on spotify we have two playlists now so just search for nr1990s and you'll find those and you can also find all the episodes of the podcast on there if that's how you choose to listen to your podcast but we like it when you subscribe too so natalie what are we doing next week well next week is valentine's day oh shit 
And uh, I don't know what you think about when you think about Valentine's Day, but I think about fucking. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, that's what Stephen Merritt thought about when he made 69 love songs. Not and every we're going song to is be about doing fucking. 69 love songs, but it's called 69 love songs by the Magnetic Fields from 1999. And we are doing only that album next week for Valentine's Day. It's fucking because four it's fucking three discs. It's four fucking albums. It's, it's, it's three. No, but like I look, it's two and a half hours long. It is yeah. four albums of, of music. And I thought. Most of these songs are not very long. There are four fucking minute songs on this album, Natalie. The, yeah, there's like two, and one of them is one of the worst songs on across the set. Oh yeah, it it whole as is. Like yeah. the longest songs are actually the worst ones in almost every. There's like one song that's over four minutes. There's like that's a fifty good. second song that I thought was super good, and he could have done more with it, but I know why he didn't because it just wouldn't go anywhere. It was a very complex piece to write. Whenever he uses like a harpsichord note <laughs> in what he's doing, it's going to get real touchy. Like my favorite Stephen Merritt song is in an operetta. Just is an operetta. It's not at all surprising. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. And I know which song you're talking about on 69 Love Songs, and I'm sure that's going to be your favorite song. I'm going to go and leave this podcast. I'm done. (laughs) But yeah, we're going to do that one whole album because it's long as fuck, and uh, I can't. But also, like, we've listened to it a ton. I haven't listened to it much in the last six years. But But I was like 20 years old in 1999, so I listened to it a lot. I mean, I would walk around the college campus and just listen to magnetic fields. Sorry. Yeah, so, I, um, yeah, we'll talk about, you know, the original concept and everything. Um, you need to, I'm going to read the booklet again. I should, you should read also that, too. do that. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Dan Handler interview, um, because it definitely gives a lot of uh, insight into the songs and into what the album was originally conceived as. <laughs> and, and really, of of many Magnetic Fields album, this is the most like that Gothic Archie's album he did for Series of Unfortunate Events. I think some of the, like just the way he is writing his lyrics are very similar. Yeah, I mean, this is where like it's weird because there were it was this was the follow up to Get Lost. There were four years between those two albums yeah. because he did the Future Bible Heroes and he did the Sixth and. So, I mean, he had other stuff going on, but, like, th- this was where Stephen Merritt stopped being, like, quirky synth-pop boy and became Stephen Merritt, the, you know, too clever for hero. his own good ukulele hero. Like, yeah, this is where Magnetic Field stopped being primarily a synth band and, like, became very acoustic. We need to do some future Bible heroes on this on this podcast too because oh, I, yeah, am the, yeah. I am the bitch goddess. Is I don't I think that one was post nineties. It doesn't that, feel like it was. I think it was early two thousands. Ah oh, damn. I think the I'm a vampire. Yeah, I think the the first album was the only one they did in the nineties. Anyway, so that's n- next week. It's, that's not going to go on the playlist because that would immediately no. fill up our new playlist. <laughs> it's If you want to listen to 69 Love Songs, you go and do it. 
You go and find mm. 69 Love Songs. It's More power hard. to you, honey, because you can find it on Spotify just, just fine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm not, I, I went ahead and put an album I'm doing the week after on the, on the playlist, so. All right, well, let's wrap it up then. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Listen that's to 69 show. Love Songs for next week and get ready for, for that and that conversation. Have a good time. <laughs> Just Stephen Merritt didn't. <laughs> <laughs>